0: Hi, I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And I'm Norman Mitchell, and we're the hosts of Lord of the Rings
1: Minute, the daily podcast where we discuss, appreciate, and delve too deep into the Lord of the Rings Extended Editions, one minute at a time.
0: You know there's a Balrog down there, right?
1: It'll be fine.
0: (laughs) Have you ever wondered about Hobbit economy or how wizards get their mail?
1: Are you also in awe of Hugo Weaving's eyebrows? Then join us every Monday through Friday on our mission, quest, thing, only on DuelingGenre.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Dueling
0: Genre. Hello everyone and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski and I'm Todd Mack and this week we're discussing Joe, all of them, the little women from the novel Little Women. <laughs> we never really settled <laughs> on which it, one we're going to talk about, but Joe, I think that's it's a the, good call. I feel like it, it typically ends up that it's, like, it's kind of about Joe. Yes, and we'll talk yeah. about some of why, <laughs> why that is uh, as we get to the trivia and, uh, and get into that. But first, before we do that. Uh, a quick synopsis about this little women was written by Louisa May Alcott and it was published in stages with the first part coming out in 1868 and the second in 1869. And then they were published as one volume for the first time in 1880. And it has never been out of print since. It's a pretty good book. It's a good run. Yeah. So Todd, had you ever read little women?
1: I never read little women. My mother loves little women and, um, I mean, the book, and she also loves, you know, women, but <laughs> she She's... loves the book and, and all, uh, little women. She loves little women and big women. She likes, uh, all she of them. was, she
0: was a good mother but, um... to you and your, your siblings, <laughs> including sisters.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, and we watched the movie a lot when I was a kid, I, the, with Christian Bale. And, uh, that's, that was my, really my exposure to the, to the story was through the film.
0: So I only saw the movie once about a decade ago. As far as my memory goes, it had Batman and Mary Jane Watson. Not that by the movie was made, they weren't Batman or Mary Jane Watson, no, but, but when Bale. I was watching it at that point in my cultural consciousness, yeah. it was Christian Bale and uh, uh, Kirsten Dunst, Kirsten Dunst, um, Kirsten yeah. Dunst. very, very little, like in her Jumanji age. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And Bale I had such in, a in Newsy's era.
1: I had such a crush on her at that time.
0: And, uh, I believe it also I'm now. I'm really surprised that you only saw this once, Joseph, because Kate, I think, will be upset with you. Yeah, my sister Kate, I'm sure she enjoy, enjoyed that film. I just never watched it when I was growing up, and then it was, I know I watched it with my wife. I can't remember if it was when we were dating, or right, I forgot married, but so about a decade ago, somewhere in there. And isn't, uh, the mom from Stranger Things, Joyce, isn't she in there? I think she, she's Joe. She plays Joe. Winona, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. And now my world has completely exploded, because I like, cannot. I cannot reconcile in my mind that those two people are the same actress but they they most certainly are.
0: Oh, I'm okay, I'm looking at this up. There's Okay, so it has Winona Ryder, Christian Bale, Kirsten Dunst, Claire Danes, Susan Sarandon.
1: Uh, oh, wow. So that
0: that's good, not bad. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, it's I, I recognize it's really all good, of those names. Yeah. It's a really good film.
0: But we're not talking about the film. We're talking about the novel and the first time I read the novel was in preparation for this podcast and as I was Going through it, I was like, "Why haven't I read this before? This is great." Now, I have, I do have a a question for Joseph in particular. What was your exposure to Louisa May Alcott before listening to this novel? Had you read anything else? From yes, I've read some of her short stories, and like I've assigned her short stories to some of my students. Like, you can't. I teach American literature. You okay. can't not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and encounter Louisa May Alcott. I also remember growing up as when we were kids. Is this, we, is this there, there what I was some card game up? of famous American authors? Oh, this is not what I was going to go for. And it was like Go Fish, but it was it was American mm-hmm. authors, and I remember I played the same game. And I remember Louisa May Alcott and liking her name, and I would I started to say, "Geez, Louisa May Alcott." Yes, that's what I was going to get at. So, <laughs> and it I, came from that card game. Okay, <laughs> I remember it was Joseph's one of Joseph's exclamations of frustration playing Nintendo games, like playing Legend <laughs> of Zelda, <laughs> and and getting frustrated at a puzzle would be just and, like and open palm slapping
1: onto the floor. Louisa May Alcott.
0: <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we played that same game. That was a good game.
0: Uh, it exposed me to be Louisa May Alcott. <laughs> yes. I don't know that I read anything of hers until I was, a, you know,
1: working on American Lit. <laughs> I, didn't read, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't read anything of hers until I was thirty-five years old. So don't worry about it. Um, yeah, uh, this is. I I, so I just listened to it um, over the last few days. The Audible version is really good. The the reader is excellent. And uh, the story is fantastic. I kind of wish that I had read the book because I would have marked like 100 passages. It's a supremely quotable uh, book.
0: Oh, yeah. There are some great quotes in this. I And there's at least one I fully intend to bring up in our discussion because it just made me laugh out loud.
1: <laughs> great. And uh, and the, the movie also. I mean, I know we're not talking about the movie, but my sisters especially quote the movie a, an awful lot.
0: All right. Well, I have some trivia about this, uh, about Louisa May Alcott and about Little Women. Uh, Louisa May Alcott's parents were part of the Transcendentalist movement in New England, and she grew up knowing some famous writers like Henry David Thoreau, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Nathaniel Hawthorne. That's all part of her circle. Wow. (laughs) Um, And Little Women is somewhat autobiographical and just I am not a scholar of Louisa May Alcott. But when I was looking it up, I saw a range of like how autobiographical this was. Um, Joe is based on Louisa May Alcott, and she grew up with three sisters. Um, and uh, one of her sisters uh, was named Anna, and that was the one that aligns more with Meg. Uh, her sister Lizzie aligned more with Beth, and her sister May uh, aligned more with Amy. Um, her sister Lizzie died at 23 after having had a childhood illness that she had recovered from, but she was kind of always weak from then on, so that's clearly plotline that uh is explored in the novel as well and uh louisa may alcott's sister may was um very artsy um like amy and uh may actually did the art in the first publication of little women she illustrated it and saying that louisa may alcott aligns with joe um louisa may alcott is most known today for little women and other kind of canon literature but she also had a period in her life where she wrote kind of pulpy adventure stuff just for the money <laughs> and um, I remember I was at uh, Barnes & Noble and I was looking at a collection of like or, or early uh, it was early horror stories uh, in American literature and there was like a mummy story written by Louisa May Alcott. I was like, Louisa! <laughs> I had no idea <laughs> that she was, <laughs> is it any good? Uh, for she, adventure Pulps. Uh Many of them were published anonymously, much like Joe. She didn't want her name on them. She's just doing it for the money. Uh, it seems. And also, Louisa May Alcott um, won a newspaper contest, just like Joe does in in the novel. Um, And she was first published in real life. She was first published when she was 17. And besides publishing anonymously for some of the stuff that she didn't really put her name on, uh, she also had a pen name that was A.M. Barnard. E-A-R-N-A-R-D. Barnard. Um, Alcott was a feminist and an abolitionist, so good for her. (laughs) Good good position to be on in history. Uh, okay, so I'm just going to quote some from Wikipedia about the adaptations because there's been quite a few. It's been adapted for film uh, twice as silent films and then four times with sound. It was adapted with sound in 33, 49, 78, and 94. I have to imagine there'll be another one sometime. Oh, yeah. yeah, Or Netflix or someone will do a prestige miniseries of it. You know, something mm-hmm. along those. Uh, four television series um, uh, or, or television adaptations have been done. Two in Britain in the 1950s. And there were also two a- uh, anime series in Japan in the 1980s based on Little wow. Women. And there was a musical, Broadway musical, that opened in 2005. And there is also an opera version that was uh, first written in 98. Uh, there were Alcott wrote two sequels to this, Little Men and Joe's Boys. And do you remember a few years ago when, after um, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, there was this rage of
1: adapting was some classic of literature and Yeah, sea yeah adapting classic
0: mo- uh, literature with some sort of monster. Well, there was this, mm-hmm. a book called Little Vampire Woman that was published <laughs> <laughs> at that point. <laughs>
1: hmm. I have-, have you read? Do you, are you familiar at all with Little Men or Joe's Boys?
0: No. Our family owned a VHS copy of an adaptation of Little Men.
1: Okay. Um, I
0: never watched that one either. I I think I was suggested into watching it a few times. Okay. But it opens with, like, an orphan boy's violin being destroyed by a carriage, and that's a little, that's a rough start. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh. On the other hand, emotionally, you should go up from there. Like... <laughs> Sure. It doesn't
1: entirely. <laughs> I've been watching Broadchurch, so oh. I mean, there's definitely a there, there's, there's, some there's low definitely a, a, a low a, a point that is lower than a little boy's violin getting broken to to be reached. <laughs> I mean,
0: <laughs> I hope the uh, the fad of uh, genre bending classic literature hasn't entirely faded because I've got a heist Pride and Prejudice project I'm keeping in my back pocket.
1: <laughs> hmm. <laughs>
0: Look out, Lady Catherine de Bourgh. They're coming for your fine art. (laughs) 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 Before we move on to the long summary by Todd, we would like to thank our listeners for uh, listening to this podcast. And we would especially like to uh, to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support our show financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist. And that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash protagonist and you can support our show uh with at least one dollar per month though there is no cap on that all supporters on patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films we talk about trailers for upcoming films and all patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss and now we're going to turn the time over to todd for a full spoiler synopsis of little women and if you've been meaning to get around to this and haven't, it's been published for quite some time, so we have no qualms about spoiling this for you. Go ahead, Todd. <laughs> I thought you were going to say so. There's freely accessible. Oh yeah, there's that copies. Too. Yeah, I'm sure there's LibriVox podcast um, audio versions. Todd recommended the audiobook uh, on on Audible dot com and. This is one of those that you could probably still pick up like a $5 version at Barnes and Noble. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Worth or or, their, or you might be able to section. download
0: it into any reader for yeah, from, for 99 cents or something. Yeah. yeah, or even Project Gutenberg maybe might mm-hmm. have a free version floating around. Yeah.
1: Okay, so um I'm just going to preface this by saying this is quite a long book. How long how long is the book itself? Do you, I, do, I do, I do you have
0: a, I don't have it. No. It's long. It was published it in two parts <laughs> and then combined. Yeah
1: quite long it was uh, well over 20 hours of um audio so uh, let's just say um i can uh, thank Schmoop for helping me out with to remember some of these plot points here uh but here it goes story begins with the march girls meg joe beth and amy who live with their mother mrs march um the girls call her marmy uh the family's poor the girls are um pretty young at this point amy is like tween tweenish i mean i think
0: i'm just gonna jump in real quick and say this is the poor in the way the austin girls are like poorer it's like these aren't upper class but they still have help right (laughs) it's not dickens
1: right yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah i mean we could say they're like probably upper middle middle class
0: i I mean somewhere in the middle class where there's still lower class that are helping them (laughs) right
1: right Uh uh-huh so amy's an early teen megan's in kind of an older teen and joe and beth are sort of in between there. Uh, And the father is away at war, and the girls are complaining about their situation because they don't have the fancy things that they used to have um, when their father was around. Uh, And then they get a letter from their father encouraging them not to complain, but to be grateful for what they have. On Christmas morning, the girls wake up and find that they each have received a copy of John Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress, and they vow to read it and take its teachings to heart. There's a delicious breakfast prepared for them, but the girls wait to eat it uh, for their mother to return, so they can all eat it together. And then she comes home and tells them about an even poorer family that she has been visiting. And they all decide to take their delicious breakfast uh, to this other family. And um, and then there's a rich neighbor called Mister Lawrence who rewards their charity by giving them a delicious meal uh, on the same Christmas day. And even though they uh, and he does this, even though the the girls have never actually met him. And uh, it's still during the holiday season. Meg and Joe are invited to a fancy party. And they don't have very nice clothes, but they find a, may- a way to make do with what they have. And at the party, Joe meets Mr. Lawrence's grandson, Theodore, who she also calls Laurie or Teddy. And they really hit it off. Um, and Joe's kind of a spitfire. And she and Laurie are just very, very, very good friends. <laughs> and um, they're, I just think their interactions are really great. Uh, The holidays end and life goes back to normal, but the Marches and the Lawrences have uh, become very good friends, with old Mr. Lawrence taking special liking to Beth, uh, who struggles with um, kind of feeble health. And then one day, Amy is caught trading limes at school, and she's punished. And Mrs. March is furious about this, and she pulls Amy out of school and uh, decides to just teach her at home. On another occasion, Joe gets invited to go somewhere with Laurie. Uh, and Amy wants to go, but Joe won't let her because she doesn't want her little sister tagging along. And Amy is super mad about this, and she burns the manuscript of a book that Joe has been slaving away at for years. And that one uh, Joe, for me. <laughs> I know. Uh, and Joe says she will never ever forgive Amy. But then one day, Amy follows Joe and Laurie when they go ice skating, and uh, and Amy falls through the ice, and Joe and Laurie save her, and then um, Joe feels bad. By the way, she's been treating her sister and the girls are reconciled with a lot of help from their mom. And their mom is just, man, Marmy is, (laughs) she's such a great um, mother, I think. Uh, And then Meg gets invited to a party where everybody is mean to her and they're they're kind of, um, they're gossiping about her. uh, But Laurie is there and he treats her really kindly. It was amazing to me
0: how much this made me think of Mean Girls, this sequence here. Oh yeah,
1: totally. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't, I didn't make that connection, but it's, it's totally Mean Girls. Um, so then the summertime comes and the girls say that they don't want to do anything. Um, they say, Oh, it's summer and I don't want to do anything. And the mom's like, really? You don't want to do anything? No, no, nothing. And she's like, okay, go ahead and try, go ahead and try and do nothing. (laughs) And so, um, so she kind of like throws down the gauntlet on the girls and the, and the girls now they're like, um, they're doing nothing, but it's sort of a, um, like a, like a challenge to see if they can do nothing, and they just uh, almost kill themselves and each other uh, with boredom. And then then one day, Mrs. March decides to leave and let the girls try to fend for themselves. And they make a meal, but it's not really that great. And uh, in the end, they all learn the lesson of gratitude for the work their mother does and of the necessity that they all collaborate in uh, housework. And then one day, they receive word that Mr. March is ill, and so Joe sells her hair to finance Marmy's trip to Washington to take care of their father. And while Marmy is away, Beth goes and visits that poor family, the Hummels. Um, this is the poor family from the beginning that they had taken their breakfast to. And she gets very sick. And they don't want to tell Marmy because they don't want her to have to come back from uh, from taking care of their father. Um, and the doctors say, oh, she's gonna get better, she's gonna get better, and then her health just continues to deteriorate. And eventually it looks like she might actually die and so Joe decides finally that she needs to send word to Marmy. Um, but Laurie has already taken care of it. And uh and Marmy returns that day. And then Beth's fever breaks and she makes it through and everyone's happy. And uh and then during this time, also um Meg, the oldest sister, uh, she falls in love with uh Mr. Brooke, who is Laurie's tutor, and they fall in love and they get engaged, and that's the end of book one. And then book two begins and um a few years or more have passed and Meg is married and Joe has begun publishing novels, which is exciting, but she isn't super proud of her work since her novels are sort of, um, they're uh, like kind of racy. And, uh, Joe has been serving as a kind of companion to their aunt March. Um, but when it's time for her to take a trip to Paris Aunt March invites Amy to go with her instead of Joe, because Amy has more ladylike manners and this makes Joe, uh, kind of angry. And during all of this time, Laurie has been in love with Joe, but she doesn't return his romantic affection. She just kind of sees him as a brother. And she actually thinks that her sister Beth is in love with him. And in order to give them space to fall in love with each other, she thinks, um, she decides to go to New York. And while she's there, she meets this really kind um, German man. He's a professor, and his name is Fritz Baer and he's older than her he's in his 40s and she's in her 20s but he's really kind and she's impressed with his um his intelligence and his wisdom and he encourages her to find a simpler writing style than these um uh like wild um <laughs> like bodice ripping kind of um things that she's that she's writing well, uh and the romance
0: stories yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: And uh, and so she does, she finds a, a simpler style. And when she returns home, um, Laurie professes her his love to her and Joe refuses him and it breaks his heart and he ends up kind of moping around for a while and he makes his way to Europe where he runs into Amy who has been thinking about marrying for money instead of love. And uh, and she's really disappointed to see Laurie's um, sad, lazy behavior. And she encourages him to make something of himself and he does and in the process uh, they fall in love with each other and they get married during this time beth uh, becomes very sick and joe spends a bunch of time at home with her sister and her and her mom um and beth eventually dies and uh and then joe spends some more time at home kind of grieving and this is um it's kind of an important time for her uh while she's maturing and then soon amy and Laurie return home from uh, europe And they're all celebrating their reunion and remembering Beth. And then Fritz Baer, the the German professor guy, shows up. And Joe is so happy. And she finally realizes how much she loves this uh, gentle guy. Uh, But he's kind of tentative. And it takes them a while for them to finally communicate their feelings to each other. And in the end, they do. It's in the rain. It's very romantic. Uh, And so now the little women are all married. And Meg and Mr. Booth are poor. But they have found happiness in their children and in each other. Amy and Laurie are rich. And they're happy helping other people. And Joe and Fritz inherit uh, Aunt Marcia's old house, and they turn it into a school for boys. And Pilgrim's Progress is now complete. Um, the girls have all become happy women at the end.
0: Good job, Todd. Thanks. That's uh, Yeah, I mean, there's so much to that story. And I thought that was a, a great summary. If, uh, if this discussion or the, that summary interests you, just know. There's more there, because this was a
1: super long book
0: <laughs> that Todd just summarized
1: it is a really long book um and there are so many great there's so many great kind of like one-off sort of uh, you know a chapter about they're, the chapter they're about meg right? yeah there are vignettes it's the chapter about meg and um and her husband when she's so focused on the kids and he's feeling bad and so he starts hanging out with the neighbors and uh and then marby kind of helps like it doesn't doesn't do anything to push the story forward uh but there's a lot of uh really great kind of advice and um and studying characters and mm-hmm. she does such a great job of reflecting um i think real emotions and capturing uh um authentic experiences from people and um there's there's just kind of a sweetness in the story that i that i really liked
0: yeah i think there's um like i said this is autobiographical or semi-autobiographical obviously names have been changed and she may have doctored up some of these stories but you sense an authenticity to uh to the characters and to their interactions um you know be it the the way they the sisters can be at each other's throat in one vignette and all is forgiven in the, in the <laughs> next um or like you said like this um young couple that married with all the good intentions in the world and then once a child was introduced into the mix <laughs> the the system was out of whack and they didn't know how to put it back um until until someone with more experience could come and help set them on the right track uh, i at the beginning i said we're gonna talk about joe and all the little women because we hadn't really narrowed it down but joe mm-hmm. i think is the one that tends to stand out in this yeah. story for for everyone so what is it about joe that is so uh you know that makes her the star of all these really well fully formed characters um, and they each get their own vignettes where they're the stars of, you know, the chapter and we learn more about their characters and we see, you know, what they're up to. But what is it about, what is it that makes Joe stand out so much and make this the kind of story that has, like I said, never been out of print, you know, since it was first published in the 18, um, was it sixties for the first, the, uh, in the two parts originally.
1: Yeah. It is 1860 to like to 1880, you said.
0: Yeah. I think it was put together in 1880. I think it was published in 68 and 69. remembering yeah. Right. right.
1: We talked about – at some point we had talked about a, um, a pattern – I'm trying to remember what story we were discussing – about having protagonists that are readers and how, as, as readers ourselves, we sort of gra- we gravitate toward other um, characters that are also great readers. Uh, and I, I wonder if there's something of that in here that it's just – it's great to see somebody that loves to read and that loves to write and that we um, – and of Green Gables. It was Anna Green Gables, that's right. Uh, and how much we well love. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I wonder if that is something of that in in here. But this she's a likable person. Um she she's not perfect. Uh and but her flaws are um it's I think it's easy for a reader to identify with the flaws that she has. Uh and And she's trying, and I love the, one of the things that I loved about this that I, I don't think is really, um, shows up in the, in the film is, is using, uh, Pilgrim's Progress Mm -hmm. as kind of a, I mean, this is sort of a rewrite of Pilgrim's Progress, uh, which I have not read, but I'm fairly familiar with, um, you know, the, the general premise of the book and at the very beginning we see the girls get these this book and then we see them develop as characters and in the end they're sort of happy and uh fulfilled and and i like uh, i mean personally that kind of story uh resonates with me um watching people really trying hard to you know knock off the rough edges and to become better human beings and uh it's not surprising that a story about Four young girls who are trying to just become better and find happiness uh, resonates,
0: and that is exactly why you are so fond of film noir, right? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> seeing people trying to be yeah. better and achieving it and just ending up in happier places.
1: <laughs> well, um, like in a way, kind of <laughs> <laughs> you can enjoy different no kinds way. of stories. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I can't. I would go absolutely crazy if I tried to watch only film noir all the time. Um, And this is definitely, this is about as far from film noir (laughs) as you could possibly get. But I really like it. Um, I just, I think the characters are well developed. Um, I think they're believable and their interactions are believable. And uh, it's really hopeful. I mean, it feels like for such a long book, it feels very light.
0: Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Um, talking about Joe specifically, I, I like we said that one of the key aspects for her and for all these sisters to feel authentic is um, that Louisa May Alcott, even though she was basing Joe on herself, she didn't, you know, polish the stone too much. <laughs> like she allowed right. some warts to be shown in terms of uh, her choices, her personality. Um, but what, like, if we're going to s- s- try and do a character sketch of Joe and uh, what are some of her strengths and what are some of those weaknesses that are necessary to be there for her to feel real? Um, I, I want to try and break down some of that. And I, I imagine sometimes it's like the, the same thing <laughs> on different ends of the scale is going to be a strength and a weakness or, or, uh, um, right. something to be praised and, and a flaw to be corrected. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I, I'll go first. Uh, obviously her creativity is one of her strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at the same time, I think, um, she needs to be pushed or she'll settle into, even with her creativity, she'll settle into like um an easier level where she can just do enough to get by and not the best that she knows she's capable of. And she's not self-motivated enough to go and reach that higher level once she's found. If I just, you know, if I just keep writing these stories, I'm going to make enough money. <laughs> and and uh, I know I could do better, but I'm fine <laughs> here.
1: Well, I, I it's interesting because I, I think maybe she has this sense a kind of a sense of maybe I could do better, but I also don't think that she has a really clear idea of what better looks like Mm -hmm. until she meets a bear. I agree with that. And, and that she needs somebody to come along and say, Hey, um, you could do better and maybe better looks something like something like this other thing. But this doesn't seem like she has a lot of examples to draw from. And she, I mean, she writes the kind of stories that she likes to read and she likes to, um, perform. I mean, we get these plays with Rodrigo and she always dresses as the man (laughs) and she, they're, they're so dramatic. And, um, I, so in, in, in some ways she's writing, you know, what she enjoys, but as she changes as a, as a human, uh, I think. It's, uh, it's interesting to see how her writing also needs to change and that she, it kind of dawns on her slowly that this thing that she used to love isn't really the thing that she loves anymore. And, um, and then she kind of has to struggle to find a new way to express herself.
0: Yeah, and I think also, like even after I said it, um, that she knows she can do better, I think maybe it's more she knows there is better to be done, but she doesn't have quite the self-confidence to say, I'm the one to do that yeah um until someone can say yeah you are <laughs> <laughs> you you've got that in you
1: yeah i i mean the fact that she publishes everything anonymously and she sees people reading her stories and she's like oh i don't know if i really want to. you she know sees the not.
0: stories that are in the same um you know the 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 uh, i mean yeah. I it's, not, it's newspaper kind of magazines but she sees
1: she sees the other stories there in there and she's like mm, that's not very good <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so it's, anyway, it's, it's nice to see that. Um, and then she even tries, actually, there's a time where she tries to do these moral, kind of morality stories and she's like, well, I can't do a more, you know, <laughs> she kind of tries it she and she too realizes far in the other I, direction. Just, <laughs> I just can't do that's not me either. And, and then she, she's able to find, kind of find her own voice. Um, and, and it turns out her own voice is you know, good enough to write a story in 1860 that we're still talking about in 2000. <laughs> 17, almost 18. Um, she has a pretty good voice.
0: Uh, any other, uh, I guess what, what are some of the other, um, for some reason I'm more interested in her weaknesses because like she's, she's awesome. I think we, even from that, yeah. that brief summary, we know she's awesome. Um, you know, she's, she's not constrained by the social norms of gender, right? She's a tomboy in an age where uh-huh. there aren't very many tomboys, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. and she, she's kind of, um, Free with her her emotion and her creativity, she lets you know as, as a young co- child she lets all that flow but where what are some of the negatives that we see that make her not just like oh she's awesome
1: um i think well she she certainly has uh this really f- kind of fiery temper um she'd get mad at her sisters um i mean she <laughs> she's she's not. Uh, she's not all like sweetness and light like Beth. Right? Yeah. Um, and and her tongue can really get her into uncomfortable situations. I mean, she wanted to go to Paris and she wasn't able to go because Aunt March, rightly so, says, no, I think if I'm going to go hang out with society in Europe, I'd rather take Amy because she's more pleasant to be around, frankly, uh, in, well, in also, these kind of social situations.
0: And also she really shot herself in the foot. And like the, the narrator says – She's about to make a really bad decision, guys. <laughs> like everyone ever pay attention. Because she's about to say something. And she's like, her aunt is getting ready to invite one of her nieces, right, to to go to Paris. And Joe says to her, I don't like accepting charity, and I don't really care for high society. <laughs> like, and, and she's trying to like in a way, she's doing this because her aunt is charitable and likes high society. Like she's uh-huh. she's kicking against the pricks here. Right. Um and If she had known that this invite was coming, she probably wouldn't have done that as well. I mean, we know that because the narrator says pretty explicitly (laughs) if she if she could see the future, she would not say what she's about to say.
1: Right. Yeah. And and in the end, she loses out on an opportunity that she really would have wanted because she's just she's kind of thorny. Um,
0: I I mean, her contrarian contrarian nature sometimes is delightful. Like when she's the tomboy amongst her four sisters, it's a great contrast. And her relationship with Laurie is wonderful to see when they're kids. But then that same contrarianness is what gets her into trouble with her aunt in this instance and several other times.
1: Uh Yeah. I think, um, uh, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if that it's necessarily a flaw, but, um, The way that it takes her time, I mean, I I guess that's maybe certainly not a flaw, but I like the way that she gives herself time to develop as a character. And it's not like, you know, some handsome man just came and swept her off her feet, but uh, her relationship with Fritz, it takes a while. It's a slow burn. And, you know, she's not ready for him when she first, first meets him and she has to go through the whole thing with beth and she has to kind of figure out um her her feelings for Lari. and i just like i like the fact that you know she's older and she's a little bit more mature um and that she has this experience to draw on and then finally when uh when this relationship presents itself to her she's able to kind of work through things and and i i believe i believe her happiness at the end i mean it feels Uh, great. Like the payoff is so good when they're in the rain and they confess their love to each other. And, um, and I think part of what makes it great is because it took so long and I felt like she needed all of that time um, to be ready for it. I think it's worth pointing out. That is one part that is
0: not autobiographical. Louisa May Alcott (laughs) never married. (laughs) So yeah. Give her, her character a, a happier ending, I guess. Or a different ending. Well and I had
1: heard today actually that um and I, I have no I I have no idea if this is true or not. I'm sure one of our listeners does, but I had heard that um when she when she had said that she wasn't gonna be with Laurie and then Laurie ends up m- marrying Amy, that the public was like upset about it. But was this serialized or was it just two books that were Um
0: I from what I read, and again I've never studied this other than when I was preparing trivia, uh, she had written some short stories about these characters and then published okay. the first one and then that one was so successful the publisher immediately asked for the second one was it was, all, it, was all, it was less than a year later it was I want to say it was only like six months later that the second volume came out.
1: Because I can imagine, if it was serialized, I can imagine the public saying, no, give her a happy ending. And then Louise Louise Alcott saying, okay, well, um, you know, let's give her a happy ending. Which um, serialized even authors would react had sometimes. Oh, yeah, He'd
0: absolutely. public Dickens and, uh, I mean, uh, Sherlock Holmes, the short stories weren't. Yeah, I mean Conan Doyle. But, but he brought, like, it wasn't right. like he publishing the short stories in pieces, but he was publishing them as short stories that were serialized out. And he killed Sherlock Holmes, and, and then <laughs> the public demanded that he bring him back. <laughs> <So> <laughs> He's he like, no, it's yeah, not. And, uh, no, bring him back. Okay. He's, uh, yeah, he's that like, kind of I, stuff I've got better characters, time, guys. But... <laughs> and everyone said, no. No, you really don't. <laughs> we don't want any other <laughs> characters.
1: Yeah, I just, there's something really satisfying in, uh, in the way that the story ends for me.
0: Well, um, and I wanted to I talk really it like specifically it. about that one that you said, um, readers, you, you read that readers were upset. And I could see it, whether it was serialized or not, that readers would be upset when Joe and Laurie don't get together.
1: Yeah, I was upset when Joe and Laurie didn't get together.
0: Now, you are you talking about I want yeah. I
1: don't want a Will's mom to be with that man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you're talking about when you were first exposed to this in the film version, you would be you wanted Joe and Laurie to get together.
1: Oh yeah, totally.
0: I remember watching this and again. I watched the film version once a decade ago, but I remember vividly thinking those two should be together and then <laughs> when in the film, I think it's handled a little differently, and Todd you, yeah, sounds it like is. you know the film better than I do. Uh But when Beth dies, Laurie runs to comfort. um Oh, i hold on. I'm getting all the names mixed up. What's the youngest sister? The Amy, or the one that he ends up with, Laurie and Amy. Laurie and Amy. He runs to comfort Amy, not Joe. And at that point, it's like, okay, they earned <laughs> they earned that relationship when <laughs> at, at that moment. And that that moment doesn't happen in the book, right? The because uh, the news is traveling so differently
1: (laughs) Yeah, in the book he he does go to to be with her when she because they get the news while they're
0: right Europe. but there wasn't a choice there and in the in the film isn't there a choice where i can't remember my my memory was that he had a choice of like which sister he's gonna go comfort and he his first priority was was amy and that's like okay i believe his shift in affection uh, (laughs) uh, at that point
1: I don't have any, I don't have any, and memory maybe, maybe I these, invented that memory these details. from a decade ago. You, you may have, <laughs> it probably wouldn't be the first time that one of us had uh, done that. And
0: <laughs> but but I have, I've got a question. So you you talk about how you're so invested in um, Joe and Laurie being together, but you're still satisfied with the, the final outcome, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how does that, how does that work? Like what, what changes? I think the impediments that get raised by the characters as to why Joe and Laurie would be a bad romantic match and a bad lifetime match as romantic partners, they feel real (laughs) and you accept them. Uh, It's Marvie who really lays it out for Joe, isn't it, Todd? Yeah. That That, like, she kind of says, I know you two have basically had, like, a childhood crush, but I've always thought you're not a good match <laughs> because you're you're too alike you basically drive each other crazy um as be, being responsible adults <laughs> you know that that transition yeah, would mean, not work well
1: it's not like it's not like the most um i mean marmy's not a lawyer you know making a case in court like exhibit a exhibit b exhibit c she basically just says it just doesn't feel right and that's what joe says joe says I, you know, I wish I could be in love with you, but I'm just not in love with you. <laughs> I'm not in love with you. And I, you know, I I love you as a brother and I love hanging out with you, but I just can't imagine having a relationship with you that would last forever. And um, I mean, that's... It, it's really the only reason anybody has to give. Yeah,
0: that's, that's right? enough.
1: <laughs> it's enough rally. in a relationship is for somebody to say, you know, I love you. And the other person says, I don't really love you like that. And then he's totally devastated. But he's um for a while. A, has yeah. to cool off in Europe. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a part of me that really feels for Laurie in that situation where I'm like, come on, give him a reason. You know, give him a better reason than I just don't love you. But then I see it from her point of view and I think, no, she actually doesn't have to give him a better reason than I'm not in love with you. That's kind of the best reason
0: to say we shouldn't get
1: married. (laughs) It really is. It really is. And, um, and I don't, I don't have a great explanation for why Amy is such a better match for Laurie than Joe is, except that Amy ends up falling in love with him and Joe never really did. And, and that's, I mean that's human nature right like sometimes you fall in love with somebody and sometimes you don't and sometimes there are really clear reasons and sometimes there aren't
0: but i think it's explicated well enough in the uh in the text that uh, even though from part one of the novel i think you'd want joe and laurie to be together yeah by the time you're at the point where joe's saying no
1: you're like she's right <laughs> yeah yeah and and you know she's I think we trust her enough as a character that when she says no, and it's really no, that in our minds as readers, we're like, okay, I guess he's going to have to go find something else because that was a definite no. And when she finally comes down and kind of drops the hammer on him, in my mind as a reader, I'm not thinking, oh, they're totally going to get together. So like (laughs) it's, um,
0: Laurie's thinking that for a little bit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Laurie is, but I don't believe him for a second. And, uh, and at that point, um, Joe has earned my respect and um, trust as a reader enough that when she says, I don't love this guy, and I, it breaks my heart to see him sad, but I have to let him go, then I trust her uh, to, that she's doing the right thing. And I-, I don't ever doubt that, like, no, Joe, you really need to be with Laurie because he's the perfect one for you. I'm like, nope, she doesn't love him. Uh, she let him know that, and he needs to move on.
0: I think it's also key that when we do finally see Laurie and Amy get together, he has transformed, not just because of his rejection by Joe, but because when he first sees Amy, she's kind of like, kind of, you know, slacker yeah. <laughs> and you need to mature and he does. And so maybe the Joe, you know, Joe and mature Laurie could have had a relationship that would have been different than where he was when he proposed sure. to her. But that once you see where, what Laurie becomes, um, he you see how immature he was at that moment when he was when he was asking Joe. Um, and then, well, the more, more mature Laurie is in love with Amy. <laughs> so it's it's not an yeah. issue, right? Like we you can't really say, oh, he that one would be good with Joe. I mean, maybe it would have been better than the immature one. But you can look back and say he was too immature for the commitment he was trying to make. And it would yeah. not have ended well.
1: And and the relationship with, between Amy and Laurie, I think, is is a great relationship. And they love each other and they each um make the other better and um it feels earned and uh it's satisfying to see them together. And the and and the when Laurie and Joe see each other uh, at the end and Laurie's married to Amy and they're like, Yes, this is this is the relationship that we that is the perfect relationship for us, right? We still get to see each other, we still get to joke around with each other. Uh, but you're happy and I'm happy, and um, you know this is this was always a sibling relationship, not a romantic relationship. And maybe you know, in an alternate universe, I'm sure, I am sure that there are alternate universes a plenty where <laughs> Joe and Laurie are together. Uh, and I'm sure that you know some of them are fine. But uh, but I like this version of this story. I
0: feel like I had a really good point to make and it's gone.
1: <laughs> I have a question for you. Well, so, let's
0: go from there. And we'll see what comes back.
1: I was reading one of, one of my favorite quotes about literature the other day. And, um, and this is the reason why I like film noir. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is from uh, Kafka in a letter to Oscar Pollock from 1927. And he says this If the book we're reading doesn't wake us up with a blow on the head, what are we reading it for? So that it will make us happy as you write? Good Lord, the kind of books that make us happy are the kind we could write ourselves if we had to. But we need the the books that affect us like a disaster, that grieve us deeply, like the death of someone we loved more than ourselves, like being banished into forests far from anyone, like a suicide. A book must be the axe for the frozen sea inside us. That sounds like Kafka. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. It's totally Kafka. Um, you could have read that and said, you have five guesses.
1: Well,
0: yeah. I think I'm going to be Kafka on one of the five.
1: Yeah. So I, I like this quote, and I think about it um, often. And when I'm watching something like Broadchurch, um, <laughs> I think, yep, uh, that's exactly how I feel right now. Um, I cannot imagine a book farther <laughs> from this quote than Little Women.
0: Except I think what we were just talking about. I think the book that would have just made everyone happy would have been Joe and Laurie getting together. And this book ends with everyone happy, but it's not the happiness the reader is expecting to have at the end. Like we get set on a path that we think we're going uh-huh. to be on, but there's this U-turn and we end up somewhere where we're like, well, that, that's, that's probably better. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh But there's that moment of frustration where it's like, no, uh, you know, as fans uh, who had read part one and waited, you know, however many months for part two, uh, you, you know, I'm sure if there had been like internet message boards, they all would have been shipping Joe and Laurie. Oh yeah, <laughs> these, these two are going to be together. <laughs> it's going to be great. And I like, guess you know the rug does get pulled out of the reader. It's not a Kafka esque <laughs> rug getting pulled out of the out sure. from under the reader. But I think it's not just like here. I'm going to introducing you to these characters you're going to like, and everything's going to work out exactly as you feel it should, reader. That doesn't happen in mm-hmm. Little Women. So I think there's yeah some level of the you know, louisa may alcott um denying the reader a certain satisfaction that the anticipation had been built up for
1: sure but in the end she gives it she gives it
0: to us and it's just different than what we anticipated right and but i, I mean I, I think
1: i think Kafka would it, still say
0: it's too 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 sweet
1: <laughs> too, yeah too i mean tiny. this is this is the kind of book that makes us happy and kafka says you should only write read the kind of books i mean there is also
0: happy. the death of one of the four sisters <laughs>
1: Yeah, so my question is, um, is is this a what makes this book worth reading? If it doesn't, if it isn't an axe for the frozen sea inside us, right? Like it's not here to totally break us up and um, you know change our worldview completely. But what's the role of a kind of book like this where you read it and you kind of fall in love with the characters and there's a lot of um, wisdom? I mean, we mentioned earlier just how. Um, how oh, is amazing as a mother. When she looks the kids, incredible.
0: When she says, "Okay, we're gonna do it your way," <laughs> and yeah, let the kids figure out for themselves. Like, oh no, mom knows what she's talking about.
1: <laughs> her wisdom and the the teachings that she gives to her daughters are amazing. And in the end, I'm I'm I feel just hopeful and happy. And um, is it? You know, I'm thinking about uh, Levinas also, who said that the beginning of thought is pain. And is there enough pain in a story like this with what happens with Beth and, um, you know, confronting just sort of the day-to-day kind of stuff, being able to identify with two sisters that are mad at each other? Is that enough pain uh, and enough conflict in a story for there to be real, to generate kind of real thought in a reader? Uh, Or does it have to be, you know, a suicide or, uh, you know, being banished to forests far away? Because there's nothing in this book that makes me feel like I've been banished to a forest far away, even though Joe's not with Laurie.
0: Yeah. Um, I think, for one, there is more value in escapism than <laughs> Kafka and Loving allow. <laughs> I think um, there's nothing wrong with. Do you see this as escapism? some stories that you just turn to because you need a break from reality, <laughs> mm-hmm. you need a break from stress. And so you're going to slip into your favorite Netflix binge show or you're going to pick up a book you've read a half dozen times one more time. And I think there's emotional value in that. Um, that is, that, that is an end unto itself, right? You know, that's not a bad thing to have sure. some stories that are just there for escape. Should that be all you do? No, absolutely not. We do need some of those Kafka esque acts to the, the frozen sea inside of us. Uh, but is this, do you read little women as escapist? I think some do. I, I think it's, 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 it's a tier above escapism, definitely. Like in terms of character development, in terms of the ability of Louise May Alcott to sketch these these girls that feel so vibrant and authentic, um, in in a matter of pages, right? I think there's a there's a level of writing yeah. skill that's we don't associate with just you know the easy escape into this you know into into the story. Um, kind of writing, so I think there is more there. Um, some of it being what you already noted about um, there are some there's some commentary about human about human life and human relationships that's that's here that's deeper than just like I'm gonna watch some crazy soap opera or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so so there's there's other things happening than just escapism, but I just wanted to throw out that escapism can be an end unto itself sometimes, and that's fine. Sure.
1: Yeah, I agree with you 100% about escapism, but I don't agree if what you're saying is that this book is purely escapist. No, because... but
0: but I could see if like you grew up reading this book that it can become that, I think. Sure.
1: Yeah. But but uh, I mean I think the things that go on with the character development and the and the fact that the way that it's framed as kind of a, a modern day retelling of Pilgrim's Progress mm-hmm. um and that it it really is a story about um, redemption, not redemption in the sense of, uh, you know, somebody who has a terrible fall and then is able to find redemption, but more of, um, I mean, this, this notion of, um, uh, is that evolution the word you're looking for? <laughs> yeah. Evolution or progress. Um, yeah. I mean, evolution, uh, evolution has an implication of, um, the, I, I it's hard for me to read agency into evolution evolution is sort of something that happens to you whereas progress is something that you that you do it's a, it's an action and i think the the thing that makes all of these girls admirable is because of the way that they really are working on becoming better people and like to see amy and young amy who's um so obsessed with uh fanciness and money and clothes and the way that old Amy is also, I mean, she's still an artist and she still loves visually beautiful things, but she's just such a better person. And and we're given enough glimpses into her uh, way of thinking that her, her progress is um, it's admirable the way that she, she recognizes lessons, the things that her mother has taught her. And she's able to see, um, pettiness and meanness in the people around her and recognize that's not something that I want for myself and I'm going to make choices to make myself a better person. Um, and that that seems different to me than evolution, which in my mind would mean, you know, you just sort of, go through life and you become you become a different person. Mm-hmm. Um these these girls are making themselves a, a different person, I think.
0: Yeah. I, I think I was using uh, evolution in the fact that like there's a transformation that happens. Uh but sure. you're saying it's more agentive. It's not just because they were there, they come out different yeah. at the end. Um and well, I, yeah, I absolutely
1: agree with that. And, and even, that's Marmy's whole that's whole Marmy's whole shtick is you've got to work at this.
0: hmm Yeah your your choice of what you're gonna do is gonna become who you are (laughs) it's basically you know the the message over and over so choose to do things that are gonna make you better
1: one Uh, of the things that stood out to me the most was when joe was so mad at amy and she said oh marmy how do you do it you're never mad at anybody and marmy says are you kidding me (laughs)
0: I, <laughs> I have four daughters. <laughs>
1: yeah. But she's she tells Joe, I get so mad sometimes. You know, sometimes when you see me and I've got that look on my face and I'm doing, you know, this thing or I go in the other room or whatever and Joe says, yeah. And she says, that's when I'm so mad that I'm ready to just go berserk on everybody around me. <laughs> and Joe says, are you kidding me, mother? Like you, Marmy, this the picture of saintliness and and marmy tells joe like yeah i am not a saint i am still working on this and it's taken me 40 years to to get to where i'm at and it's going to take me 40 years more but eventually i'm going to reach a point where i don't feel that anger inside uh, but for now the best i can do is sort of is put a mask on it and it's it's all i can do <laughs> and to see to see marmy talking to joe about her own weaknesses and the way that she's working hard To try to be a better person uh, is really uh, sweet. One
0: of my favorite moments of seeing this is um, with Amy and Laurie in Europe when she sketches him. And Uh um, on the one hand, I can't decide if this is Louisa May Alcott being a little too heavy-handed with the symbolism, or if it's just perfect. And (laughs) (laughs) like, I I can't decide (laughs) because on the one hand, I'm like, well, that really was great, but on the other hand, it was really right there for everyone. Like, there's not a lot of subtlety. But what happens is. this is before Laurie and Amy are really starting to think of each other more romantically. It's more just like old mm-hmm. friends that have met up. And um, Amy is always sketching everything around her because she's artistic and she sketches a picture of um, Laurie laying down like on a beach, right? With his hat over his head and a cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, his hands is resting on his belly and then she shows him, you know, she gives him that sketch that she did today and she says, look, I found this sketch from when we were younger and it's him. I can't remember what it was, but something crazy active, right? Like just right. in motion and and alive. And he and he just looks at the two and sees what he's become and his petulant, like moping because Joe rejected his his um his proposal. Like he just holds up these two and he says, Well, I don't want to be the lazy guy lying on his back with a cigarette in his mouth and his hat pushed down over his eyes in the middle of the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, and he chooses at that point to start to change. And the, and after he changes is when Amy starts to see him in a more romantic light than, um, you know, than before. Uh, and it's part, you know, he needs to be a more mature uh, Laurie before he's, he, you know, before that relationship has any chance of working.
1: Hmm. I don't feel like it's heavy handed.
0: I like it. Yeah, I, I find myself leaning towards liking it. But then sometimes there's that <laughs> niggling. He really did just hold up two versions of himself and say, I like the old me better than what I've become, <laughs> which yeah. which can feel heavy headed. But I think she handled it well.
1: <laughs> I think she did. I like I like it. I love the when she says, um, I'm disappointed in you. And and he realizes how much that hurts him to, to see that look of disappointment on her face. Um, I feel like it's a really important moment for both of them. Uh, I mean, that's the 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 Amy that says I'm disappointed in you because of the person that you become. There has to have been a lot of change in her, uh, because you know, little girl Amy that's so worried about you know what color the flowers on her shoes are Mm -hmm. all the time. uh, She wouldn't have had the spine to stand up to. To like well, that.
0: and also she needed to still mature some herself because she was considering uh, one of Laurie's friends that she'd met when they were kids. Yeah. She'd met up with this friend in Europe and the guy was kind of a fop, <laughs> but mm-hmm. he he flirted with her and he was rich and she found that, you know, flattering. And then when Laurie meets up with her, he says, are you really thinking about this? And she says, yeah, I am. But he <laughs> says, you shouldn't be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and that kind of wakes her up a little. It's like they both needed a wake up call, I think.
1: I love it when he says, um, I think he says something like, not, you know, not, this is not the behavior of your mother's daughter. <laughs> something like that, right? Like, no March girl is, is gonna. Like he, is he's gonna beneath you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and at that point, and, so is Laurie. <laughs> and I love the, I, I, I think there's a, a sweet message here about the power of family and the, the, the way that you know we're better when we're surrounded by other people that are that love us, and they're trying hard to to be better people also. And um, I don't think it's I mean I, the stories would be very different for each of these girls if they didn't have each other. I think.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I, I think it it's not just the sugar coated version of that where like everything's grand with family. <laughs> it says mm-hmm. you're also gonna have some deeper pain uh, yeah. when you're surrounded by people who you love and who love you because uh the the interactions are gonna just cut to your core more than if, if you allow yourself to skim across the surface of life and not form those deep connections right um and you feel some of those moments when uh amy burns joe's book <laughs> like that's just such a violation i know and such a transgression like i was appalled <laughs> for <laughs> for joe
1: <laughs> it's to, and and when and then when you think about like she doesn't have it saved on a disc Yeah, there's anymore.
0: no – like this wasn't I deleted your file and you've got five backups.
1: <laughs> yeah. And she handwrote, I mean, or hand-wrote every one of those pages over years. She says it was like two or three years that she'd been writing it. Oh, man. It just breaks my heart.
0: And even if, uh, you know, adult Joe would have looked back at that writing because that's the kind of stories that she comes to say uh-huh. are, you know, aren't what she wants to be publishing – for where she was at like that was everything (laughs) that was literally her life's work and maybe as adults we look back and say well it wouldn't have been the greatest writing ever (laughs) you know you were only a kid but i I think you felt that palpable um earnestness of childhood of everything that you're invested in is the most important thing when you're at that age you don't have the um wisdom of You know, a retrospective look back on your life. And so her emotional response is completely valid in that moment. Oh, yeah, totally. And I think she needs the kind of mother figure that Marmee is in order to be able to mend the relationship with
1: her sister. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that I think Joe's old enough at that point that that it could have been a thing that they never came back from. I mean, they were that mad Mm -hmm. at each other. And uh, Marmee does a great job. And to get back to your point about um, family and the importance of these relationships, but also how they make us vulnerable and the pain, the pain of um, losing Beth and the pain of having your father away. And um, those are the, I I think for as sweet and sunny and happy as this book is, I I feel like those sadnesses are real Um, and, and Louise Malcott gives us a chance to kind of feel the grief uh with Joe that she wouldn't feel if she didn't love her sister as much as she does, but um she also wouldn't have you know had the blessing of being with Beth, who is totally awesome. Beth reminds me of the girl in uh in Jane Eyre. What's the her friend's name that dies when they're in in the school? Oh, my mom is gonna be so disappointed. It's not coming to me.
0: Hannah. Hannah? Something. I'm willing to accept Hannah.
1: <laughs> You're willing to accept it. You, you no, just, you'll get credit for that answer, <laughs> Todd. <laughs> good. Uh, <laughs> I'm willing to accept that. Um, she's great, and I feel like there's a special place in literary heaven for characters like <laughs> that. They were just, just like too good for this world, and then they die, and we just feel heartbroken at their uh, departing. But they also are just too good. She's up there with like, uh, I don't know, Anakin's mom or something. <laughs> 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 Who's also too good for this world and too, way too good for her son.
0: Oh my goodness! So, so yeah. <laughs>
1: that's it. That's a different yeah. episode. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever get to that episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so patron requests it. We'll ta- we'll tackle it. Nah, we'll get there. We're working. We're, we're working our way through the Star Wars films. 150 hundreds of
0: podcasts. We've talked about two of them. <laughs> yes. Uh, any final thoughts
1: about Little Women? I am so glad that I read this. And um, was this a? Sorry, this is going to have to be an edit. Somebody request this?
0: No, I just kind of had in my mind that there were some Christmas scenes in it, so I put it in for our Christmas literature this time. Really? Yeah
1: does not seem like the Christmas... Well, it opens up on Christmas, you might think. (laughs) Like, the the first chapter is Christmas. It is, you're right. I'm really glad that we read this, and uh, I would highly recommend it. Um, I think it's great, even though it's not an axe for the frozen sea inside of me.
0: (laughs) And uh, similarly, like I knew from reputation, this was like part of the American canon of literature and i had never read it and I did and it's good (laughs) and I recommend it. Uh, These characters are great. Uh, If you're like an aspiring writer, you should read this for some of the character sketches. I did kind of chuckle though at the very beginning, like she gives a pretty detailed sketch of each of the four um, sisters and then she says, but i will let you get to know them later i'm like i think you just told me about them. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a, sometimes the omniscient narrator comes in in, a, in an odd way <laughs> in
1: this yeah i i i think she's an, a, a really good writer yeah i i did not mean that as a knock it just made me chuckle no the prose is good and the the use of metaphor and oh, there's some great quotes one of my favorite
0: good. quotes in this and it's not one of those deep insightful ones. And there are deep insightful quotes about human relationships in this, but it's when um, Joe cuts her hair off to uh, um, for her father to to help fund her mom's trip to her father, right? Uh-huh. And one of her sisters yells, "Joe, y- your only beauty." Yeah, it <laughs> is such a revealing line. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. Your Amy. only beauty. <laughs>
1: In the film, she's got the, the clothespin always on her nose because she doesn't like the way her nose looks. And so Amy always walks around with this clothespin on her nose. She just wanted that, she's a European dread. point on her nose. It's so good. Oh, man. She's the best. Don't say Blastin' Ratch. Oh, man. Great story.
0: Yes, and great, great, like you said, prose and writing, and there are some fabulous quotes. But I think that is going to wrap up this episode. So thank you, listeners, for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows, go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to The Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. And we would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to check out episode number... Seventy-seven, when we discussed Jane Eyre or number 80, when we talked about Pride and Prejudice or also uh, I'm not sure what number it was, but you might want to go just do a quick search for our Anne of Green Gables uh, episode as producer Andrew made that connection to something we were talking about earlier in this discussion. You can suggest stories for, or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at dot We're all also on Twitter. You can follow protagonist pod Todd K Mac, Jay Dorowski or producer. Andrew is Diz minute on Twitter. Uh, and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners. We would love for you to say hello. Anytime. If you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to, to discuss. Or show us your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. If you need a tax break, I'm sure this must be a write-off if you give it to Patreon, right? So Funding the arts? Yeah, go ahead and throw it in there. And then you can sort that out with your accountant later. Uh, thanks again for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long.
1: So long. We are not licensed uh, <laughs> <tax> <laughs> professionals. <laughs> You good, Andrew? Uh, this was probably the fastest summary that I've ever written.
0: That's because impre- this has uh it bounces around a bit.
1: Yeah, I may have leaned a little bit on uh, <laughs> I, a schmoop.
0: I've glanced <laughs> at a summary or two in my day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, go ahead. I will refrain from eating the rest of my pizza.